0: Even amidst the trauma and chaos, nurses and others can choose to respond in a healthy way to the COVID-19 pandemic by using somatic awareness, embodiment, and the power of play. Let's talk all about it right here on this special bonus episode of The Nurse Keith Show. Hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I'm privileged to have the opportunity to use this platform to educate and inform you the Nurse Keith Nation, so that you can take anything you learn here on the show and share it with those you care about and love the most. I'm committed to regularly publishing episodes related solely to the COVID-19 pandemic. Those episodes will always be free of corporate sponsorship and advertising of anything of mine. This is solely about education and information as a public service. So please share far and wide if you feel these episodes are a valuable approach to our response to the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic and today we are joined by friend of the pod and personal friend of nurse keith the dear wonderful caroline cardenas so caroline thanks for being here with me
1: Mm, thanks for having me
0: Sure. You've been on two of my other podcasts, RNFM Radio and Mastering Nursing. And I'm so glad we're finally getting you on the Nurse Keith Show. And I'm having you on and I'm looking at you here in Zoom and you look so awesome. And I'm having you on today to talk about the work you do and your PhD work and the way in which you see the world and human, just human existence in the context of what's happening in the world right now. And, you know, we're in early April, 2020, the COVID-19 pandemic is, you know, ravaging different portions of our country and all around the world. And there's lots of suffering. And, you know, I'm, I've been talking on a lot of these about these episodes about, you know, the viral response and numbers and lots of like intellectual things. And I've also been trying to insert, about self-care and metaphor and the ways we can look at this situation through different lenses. And you have a really, really interesting and individual lens through which you see the world. So could you talk a little bit first about, you know, who you are as a nurse? And then I want to talk about this whole other part of you, but just to give the listeners just something about kind of like your nurseness. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love that. Thank you, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> my nurse Your nurse miss. So the first thing that comes up for me right now um, is that I am a loving nurse. I'm a very loving, loving nurse, and mm-hmm. that is a a a a tool that I use. It's is the center the center of my, of my gift that I um, embody and that I give off as a form of um, influencing healing um, within the space that I'm holding or, um, or um, the body that I'm touching um, and that I'm helping to bring back to balance or homeostasis. Um, I'm a compassionate nurse. Um, Compassion means to suffer with compassion and it is to um, come to those who are in uh, experience, any form of suffering, and to stand with, and to uh, be with, and, and, and to protect, and to try and bring back into a place of balance or a, or a place of harmony, um, trying to influence that in some kind of way. Um, and so I'm also a nurse who um, is aware of what is not um, obvious. Um so we are very much um, in the medical field or in, in the medical system, in the healthcare system, focused on what you talked about, information, numbers, data, all the intellectual stuff that really brings us into the cognitive. But I'm also somebody that wants to bring in what is the intuitive. And bring that as a way, bring that forward as a way of, of being a capacity, a, a, a tool, a gift that we hold. Um, so long as we continue to work it, right? We need to continue to tend to it, much like we tend to a garden. Um, and so um, that uh, intuition is a capacity that I believe that we all hold. Um, and I um, am constantly tending to this capacity within myself of intuition, to sense, What is not seen, what is not obvious, and then to be able to hold the space and to be with people in these places of suffering or fear, um, and be able to position myself so that I can help soothe that fear or soothe that suffering in a way, in a way that I see that 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 is possible, right? Um, That is not maybe it's not so obvious, and maybe it's not so medical, and maybe it's not so data driven but it has everything to do with our own humanness and connection.
0: Well said, oh my gosh. And you've done oncology nursing for a long time, right? How many years now?
1: Uh, 15, over 15 years.
0: 15, mm-hmm. and your mom died of cancer when you were 21?
1: Yes, uh, so um, actually 18 years ago, um, my mother was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. She was 47 and she was a nurse. Mm. Um, and
0: that's right. I forgot the nurse part,
1: right? Yeah. My mom was a home health nurse and I used to drive her to all her visits and while she would, you know, do her, her notes in the car and I would wait for her outside. And sometimes she would invite me in to visit her patients. And so I got to see what nursing was like from my mother's perspective. But 18 years ago, my mother was, um, you know, still working as a nurse, went into the emergency room, uh, with a hemoglobin level of four. And uh, fatigued with a fever could not move all of the above. And um, doctors and nurses didn't really know what was going on. so of course they did all the work up and over time they discovered that she was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. and uh, we discovered that it was um, it had already metastasized to the liver, the bones, the, the lungs um, and the brain. Ooh. And at that point, you know we decided that you know we were going to move forward with treatment and I was 21 at the time. Um, So doing the math, I'm 40 years old now. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was, you know, 18 years ago. And um, it was kind of a different time as well in terms of how we approached cancer and oncology. She did six treatments of chemotherapy. 10 treatments of radiation to the brain Mm -hmm. and, um, was in and out of the hospital. And at that point I wasn't sure if I was going to be a nurse or not. I kind of dabbled into the idea. I was going to a junior college. Mm -hmm. I was dabbling into the idea. Am I going to become a journalist? Will I be an accountant? Mm -hmm. I mean, I really didn't know I was trying to find my way like any 21 year old is doing right. Our brains are still developing until age 25. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, you know, I was still developing, although society and our culture would say that I was ready for the world already at age 21, so they say. Uh, but I was still finding myself. Right. And so I saw what the medical professionals were doing. I had the example of my mother serving as a loving, compassionate, caring, um, just beautiful present nurse mm, for her patients. Beautiful. Loved them dearly. And um, in and out of the hospital, she went into respiratory distress for uh, about 17 hours, at which point, you know, the doctors and the nurses asked us if we wanted her to be intubated. I didn't know what that language, I didn't know what that meant sure. at the time. And I asked them, I said, they said, life support. And so we were able to sit at the edge of the bed and ask my mother and, um, and say to her mom, you know, they're, they're asking us, you know, to put you on life support. What do we do? And she said, well, I want what you guys
0: want. Wow.
1: And that was one of the most challenging and and difficult, yeah, it was one of the most difficult decisions to make, but at the same time, I didn't want to prolong her suffering. So between my twin brother, my sister, and I, we all decided that we were going to support her through the process. And So she went through 17 hours of respiratory distress and slipped into a coma for three days Mm -hmm. and took her last breath. Mm. Um, Yeah. And so she um, died at age 47. I was 21. And... That was the death of who I was um, in understanding the world at, uh, from, from having uh, the physical form of mother in the world. Mm-hmm. Mother meaning safety. Mother meaning unconditional love. And then understanding the world and then the, the rebirth of me of understanding the world without that physical presence of mother and locating her in a different way, that love, that compassion, not necessarily in the body, but in the imagination and in the memories and, and also being part of who, who she, who she is. Right. Because I have half of her DNA. You
0: certainly do. Right. right? right.
1: And, um, and then I just decided to forge ahead and uh, went to uh, junior college and uh, I got my uh, associate's degree in nursing and uh, worked uh, for about five years. And then I decided hmm, it might be time for me to go after my bachelor's because at the time it was about, it was like 2009, 2008, 2009 when the market crashed and the housing crisis was happening. And I thought to myself, you know, I probably, it probably would behoove me to actually further my education, especially since health care institutions were really talking a lot about um, not hiring nurses who didn't have their bachelor's degrees.
0: That's very true. Right around that time, that's when the the tide changed at that, around that period. Exactly.
1: And so I thought, you know, let me take this time. I was in my early thirties, you know, and I, I decided to work full time and I went to Walden University and they actually convinced me to do the bridge program. And instead of going after my bachelor's, I did my master's degree in three years and I did that working full-time um, while I was working in the infusion center, giving chemotherapy and biotherapy agents to uh, cancer patients. So I finished my master's degree. That was hard. Yeah. Hard emphasis, emphasis, emphasis. Really difficult to do full-time work and um, full-time uh um, Graduate school, but it's possible.
0: Yeah. And now you just have a baby and you're in a PhD program. So, no big deal. No, you no, so, not at all. You know, no big deal. <laughs> so, I just want to back up a second yeah. and I want to get to the pandemic yeah. in a little bit. But first, like the beauty of your description of your mother's journey and your journey with her and your sister and your twin brother. Yeah. And I've heard that story before. We've Mm -hmm. talked about it over a drink in Mm -hmm. your house on the phone. And I've told you about my mom and how I had to pull the plug on my mom when she was brain dead. And, you know, so we shared that. And Mm -hmm. I played you some music my mom had played Mm -hmm. because she was a Juilliard trained concert pianist. And, you know, so we talked about our moms and we bonded over that loss. So yours Mm -hmm. was at a very early, tender age, mine was in my 40s, -hmm. but still you had that loss and then you decided to become a nurse and then you went to an oncology, you know, and you worked with a lot of women with breast cancer. And so you had to use the intellectual side of your brain that understood the chemo and the drip rates and the side effects and all the medications to be used for, to control the side effects and all that stuff. And you had to educate your patients about all the like intellectual brain stuff. Right. But then you also you started this conversation talking about how you bring love and compassion and tenderness and joy and all the other adjectives and nouns that i describe you with when i talk mm-hmm. about you or think about you mm-hmm. right so you i see you as you often in your work and how you've described it to me mm-hmm. how you straddle the worlds between like you said the unseen forces and i know you love the myth and joseph campbell and metaphor like we were talking about offline and then you also have this very highly intellectual brain which you need to write a dissertation (laughs) and a master's i mean a a master's thesis and then a phd dissertation so tell me first like how do you (laughs) i don't even know how to frame this how do you walk in those two worlds how do you do it as caroline carlin like what do you do ah yeah. <laughs> Easy answer. Right yeah. Now. It's really simple.
1: Well, so our vocation as nurses is a calling. You know, it's like most nurses that I've met, um, if not all, something has gone on in their life that was informative to them, so much so that it, it motivated them to go towards wanting to serve, wanting to mm-hmm. serve in that way. So there's that aspect of me right? Who wants to be able to come to the side of a person, to come to a family, to come to a person who's in an experience of fear or suffering, um, mm-hmm. and be able to in some way, shape, or form soothe that. That's part of my human nature. It's something that I've de- identified. Not everybody's like that. That's okay. You know, that's, that's okay, true. Right? That's true. Um, right? But I would say that the majority of us nurses um, really um, have that that sensibility within ourselves. We can sense that feeling of wanting to come to somebody's side and be able to soothe them. And then the other aspect of that was this part of me that, and I guess in a lot of ways it was born through um, witnessing so much suffering that I was experiencing, I was beginning to experience this this sense of compassion fatigue And I didn't know I was experiencing it. And I was also experiencing burnout. And it was early on in my nursing career. And I didn't know that, first of all, I didn't know what burnout was. And I didn't know what compassion fatigue was. And I didn't know that I was experiencing that. But I remember feeling like, oh, my God, like, here I am doing what I love um, in service. And I don't know how much longer I can sustain this.
0: That is such a question and a statement that I hear from nurses all the time. And in the age of COVID, it's even more blatant because of the, 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 the level of distress and chaos in the world. Right. Right. So how you, and so just to pivot a little bit, like you discovered, and we don't have time to go into the whole story, but we'll post it in the show notes at nursekeith.com forward slash play. So you learned you got introduced to hoop dancing, like using a hula hoop mm-hmm. as a form of, as self-care and embodiment and play. And also just like like pleasure, like it's a form of pleasure, right? And you're an amazing yeah. hoop dancer. And I'm going to embed a couple of videos of you hoop dancing at Wind & Sea Beach in La Jolla, California uh, in the show notes so people can see you dancing. And there are these beautiful videos. yeah, One with the song by Moby that I just, I've watched probably like, 50 times so let's just jump forward so you chose to use hoop dancing as a form of like self-care and then when you were about to write your your um master's thesis right and you were at walden Mm -hmm. university and you were going to write it about something else but then one of your professors said hey why don't you write it about blank so what happened Mm -hmm. there and then Why did you choose that path? Because this is interesting to people who are interested in like, what does play and embodiment have to do with a nurse at all?
1: (laughs) Yeah. What does it have to do at all? And what does it have to do with self-care? And why are we even talking Mm -hmm. about that? And if we're talking about suffering and grief, what do you mean you're talking about play? How does that even like, it's like what, you know, in a lot of ways somebody can say, you know what, like I'm repulsed by that. How can you even talk about joy or play when we're suffering? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and so coming back to this place of experiencing compassion fatigue, we nurses are witnesses of suffering, of suffering. That is part of, uh, well, it's 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 part of our, you know, job description. It is. Okay. It's not going to say it when you're hired. Oh, by the way, you know, you need to be a witness of yeah. suffering. It is what we know we do. Okay. Um, day in and day out with each person we interact with, we are witnesses of suffering, whether it be through the physical or through the emotional or the psychological or anything like that. Um, you know, we hear stories of suffering, we hold stories of mm-hmm. suffering and we enter into spaces we
0: of certainly suffering. do. Yeah.
1: Right. And that takes an enormous amount of courage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, going back to your question of like, how do you dance in these two worlds. Mm -hmm. It's like when I noticed that I was then suffering Mm -hmm. and I was experiencing this compassion fatigue and here I am early on in my career loving what I do. And at the same time, Questioning whether or not I would, how can I maintain? How can I remain? How much longer can I stay Mm -hmm. in?
0: Can I do this for 35 years? Like, what will I look like at that time?
1: (laughs) And I've met nurses who've done it for 35 years, you know, and we've all had our experiences of seeing our, you know, our elders, our mentors who are either very centered and balanced and have this, you know, enormous, like this um, expansiveness within their uh, vocation, or we meet nurses who are frazzled and tired and burnt out, but still grinding away. We've all seen it.
0: We've met them them all. all. We've met them all. And sometimes they can embody both at the same time. Depending on what their life circumstances are and their personality, etc., and
1: depending on what's going on, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So dancing in these two worlds, you know, I I started hula hooping, mm-hmm. and it was it was infusing me with 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 joy, mm-hmm. and and continuing constantly coming back to that body and movement play,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which. I wasn't intellectualizing. I was embodying. I was actually in the practice of experiencing that in my body. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was bringing me joy. So it was simple, right? I was yeah. doing it. It was bringing me joy. And what it was doing is it was infusing me with hope. It was, um, it was uh, cultivating my own sense of resilience it was allowing me to be able to sustain the witnessing of suffering that I was that I knew that I was going to be entering in and wanting and really signing up for. I've signed up for this. It's a conscious decision, you know, to go towards governor Cuomo in New York talked about the, the, the firefighter uh, metaphor. You know, he, he, he talks about, you know, you know, ventilators and the, and you know, the firefighters. And he says, you know, you get the firefighters and you get the hoses and you go towards the fire and you know, and you help each other
0: out. You know, you sounded a little like Cuomo just then. You're like embodying him in that moment. It's funny as I watched you yeah. on Zoom. And you know, so yeah. you're. You grabbed the hula hoop. That was like your fire hose, to take the metaphor a little further. And let me just look here. Your master's thesis was called Hoop Dancing to Prevent and Decrease Burnout and Compassion Fatigue Among Nurses. And it was published in the Journal of Emergency Nursing and the University of California San Diego Nursing Journal 2014. And you've done hoop dancing classes and self-care workshops at nurses retreats and women's empowerment retreats. And nurses, I've seen photos and videos of nurses working with you. And people are like, Mm -hmm. hula hoops, nursing? Like what, like Mm -hmm. they like, they do a double take and some people can't quite, like the cognitive dissonance for them is too much. Like they're like nursing, intravenous, pain, suffering, um, IV fluids, blood, and and a hula hoop just doesn't enter into the picture for them. But some nurses, Like the ones who practice yoga nursing with Annette Tersini and and study with her, they're like, wow, we can take nursing and we can actually infuse it with many different types of um, energies or ideas or concepts or actual practices. Like Patch Adams, you know, if you saw the movie about Patch Adams with Robin Williams, it was very Hollywoodized, but still the idea of bringing play and fun and clowning and all that beauty into a children's pediatric oncology ward was pretty revolutionary. So, when you wrote that thesis and when it came out, and I want to get to the pandemic soon, but like, what were some reactions when people when people saw that article in the journal of um, emergency nursing? Like, what did you hear from people when they saw this that this was an actual master's thesis?
1: Well, it, I mean, it, it brought – well, first of all, it brings about the smile mm-hmm. and it also this sense of curiosity. Mm-hmm. How can that be? Is that possible? Um, is that possible? Mm-hmm. Um, so we have this aspect of the smile, um, curiosity, mm-hmm. and then it, it taps people into their imagination. And it also brings people into their own uh, play history. Oh, I remember the last time I hula hooped or I can't remember the last time I hula hooped mm-hmm. or you know what? I used to be really good when I was a little girl at hula hooping. <laughs> right. I won a hula hoop contest. Right. Right. So, um, you know, it touches in on and wherever anybody is at in their, in their life. It touches in on them at different points, at different, in different ways, That's true. you know, and in, and some people might even say, you know what, none of this makes sense. What do you mean? Well, for me, I can speak about my own experience and say, Hula hooping was something that helped to tap into my joy. Mm -hmm. Hula hooping was something that um, was a a play practice for me that was keeping me in the game, Mm -hmm. that was allowing me to continue to show up, Mm -hmm. to be fully present, to witness the suffering and to, in my own unique way, with my specific training that I have as an oncology nurse, to be able to meet the moment with courage and resilience and love and joy and be able to bring that into the space. And I noticed that that was something that was quite powerful. The more that I actually tended to my joy, the more that I played, the more that I was able to actually come forward in my authentic sense of self Mm -hmm. and be able to bring forward not just the um, data-driven information, you know, trained way of going about it right. but also bring them you know, bringing about my own creative intuitive imaginative mm. way of showing up in a space and contributing to healing
0: but the right side of your brain not just the yeah. left side of your brain right because yeah. the right is the intuitive creative part of the brain right artistic and yes so so just bringing this forward and writing this dissertation having it I mean, writing this thesis, having it published in two different journals and then people reading it and being like, wow, like this is real. And you being able to be on podcasts and speak to nurses at conferences and women at conferences and stand with me and Mary at Sea Beach on the rocks in La Jolla, California and and teach us different types of um, hula hoop dance. And it's really fun. We have videos and photos of us all together. And if there's a nurse out there right now working in an er in i don't know st louis or something right and she or he is like i can't even imagine coming home and playing after triaging and working with people and maybe saving people's lives or not necessarily being able to save people's lives right now how can i come home and play and yeah i my first thought is well if you have a seven-year-old and you go home and your seven-year-old is in the sandbox, like making sandcastles, change your clothes, wash your hands, get in the sandbox with your kid and make some sandcastles and you're playing. Right. So, so does play have to be formal? Like, okay, now I'm going to get out this thing and do this thing. Like, does it have to be something that someone actually like, they have to think with their left brain to make it happen? Is that what this nurse has to do when he or she gets home?
1: So, I would say that play is, first of all, play is a very difficult thing to define. Yes. Many play scholars have, have attempted to define what play is, but as soon as you try to, de- to, to define play, you're boxing it in and you're moving further away from what it is. Mm-hmm. So it's in essence, almost like trying to define what trust is and what love is, mm. you know, play is in that same category. Right. Um, but, you know, you can look at play in, in a way of, of its principles, its, its characteristics and its elements. Mm. And, um, and, 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 and that part is really important um, to understand. Um, and so play is fun. It's frivolous. How do we give ourselves permission to step into this other world of not gathering data, of non-information, mm-hmm. of you know, not being effective, not being efficient, all the things that we're completely tied to in our Monday through Friday or our 12-hour shifts.
0: Thursday through Sunday. You know, or (laughs) Thursday through Sunday
1: or whatever your schedule is, right? Um, Where you're constantly going, 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 going. And here, and oh, by the way, our postmodern Western culture Mm -hmm. is completely focused on effectiveness, efficiency, and productivity. Good point. And so we're programmed as adults to... Whatever it is that we're doing, it needs to yield results. Mm -hmm. And, oh, by the way, we can never have failures. We have to have successes. Yes. Okay? And so we are constantly patterning in that way, and we're firing those synapses, so we've got that highway just built, so we're going 80 miles per hour on that highway. Mm. And we're continuing to practice that effectiveness, efficiency, productivity, yield results. And then, oh, by the way, the healthcare system is like, You know, more data, more information, Mm got a document. You got to prove it. That's too much.
0: Too much. And can you do that 24 hours a day when you get home as well? Like I have a nurse practitioner friend right now in Santa Fe right now. She works all day, every day and, you know, works really hard with the poorest of the poor in Northern New Mexico. What is she doing right now this afternoon? She is in her garden digging in the dirt. And is that a form of play? Of course it is. It's productive. It's a a way. I mean, it's productive because she's growing food, right?
1: Yes. Yes. But
0: is it a form of play to stick her hands in the dirt?
1: Yes. So here, let's go back to, let's go back to um, the properties of play, which my mentor, Dr. Stuart Brown. Stuart Brown, that's uh, right. Identified in his book um, called Play, How It Shapes the Brain, Opens the Imagination, and Invigorates the Soul. That's right. He also has a TED Talk that um, is about a 15, 20-minute Um, that, you know, if you're on your drive to work, you can listen to and it's really quite powerful.
0: We'll try to get that in the show notes if we remember. (laughs) Yes, Okay.
1: okay, so play is intrinsic to who we are, all right? And I just want to pause there for a moment, okay? Because we've been talking about like leading into like how do we get nurses to play? Let's stop for a second. Let's take a deep breath and let's really understand that play is actually intrinsic to who we are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If we look at our children, they are our play experts. From the moment that they wake up, if they're slept, if they're, if they're you know, if they're safe, and if they're fed, mm-hmm. then they can play. And the same thing goes for us mm-hmm. as adults. Mm-hmm. All right? Play and work doesn't need to be separate, by the way. Okay. But if we go back to Dr. Stuart Brown's seven play properties that he identifies, he says that play is purposeless. All right, so it's done for its own sake. So if you're engaging play because you want to be able to burn 200 calories, that's not play. You, engaging play is I'm going to do it because it's fun. So your nurse friend that you just identified or that you described to me, who, who's been working a ton and it's been really stressful and all she is longing for Mm -hmm. is to put her hands into the soil because that brings her joy. It does indeed. Okay. Then she's playing.
0: Oh, okay. Right.
1: And she is playing because, because it, it, it brings her joy. Yeah. All right. What it yields, we can go back and, and do like, you know, we can look in the rearview mirror and go, oh, after she did that, she engaged in movement that was good for her body. Mm-hmm. We can look at, you know, all the things that that yielded in terms yeah. of positive results. She had a cucumber one and it
0: had fiber it. in it, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: And she ate it for dinner sure. and, you know, and it, and she absorbed it and it was good for her body right. and we can break it down if the cognitive mind needs that. Okay. What what I would say is first we need to look at the seven play properties, and that is that play is apparently purposeless. It is voluntary. Mm -hmm. It has an inherent attraction, it has a freedom from time, diminished consciousness of self, improvisational potential, Mm -hmm. and continuation desire. So for me, those are my sense
0: I'm gonna put those in the show notes too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. It's so good. It's so good. So the thing about play is is that you know it brings us into our own sense of creativity and it cuts through time. Mm. Where time is sort of non-existent. We're in this expansiveness of living,
0: yes. of being
1: alive, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah, we're being alive very much in stressful situations. There's a sense of aliveness in that because of the tensions and what we're doing and all of that, but too much, too much, too much of that, and we feel very constricted. How do we come into the expansiveness of this, com- of this experience of being alive, which, oh, by the way, one of our birthrights is experiencing joy. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. It is a basic affect. Mm. Joy is a basic affect. Play is intrinsic to who we are. Dr. Jacques Panksup, who coined the term affective neuroscience, identified that play is part of the subcortical region of the brain in math
0: subcortical region of the brain okay so so the the research is there like we to go to the cognitive part like we have research on play and children and adults and the impact on the body the impact on the psyche how to use the right brain and what it does for you that timelessness you talked about and the potential for improv the improvisational potential right so so what about like nurses who are in the break room really quickly in the ER ICU and one nurse plays a prank on the other nurse. And yeah. the three nurses in the room all of a sudden burst out into spontaneous laughter because this prank was hilarious. And then they're going to go back and save lives. But yeah. for one minute or 30 seconds, they burst into this spontaneous laughter and like what two of them are doubled over in laughter. Are they playing mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and so you're talking about, you know, this aspect of going sort of behind the curtain sure. and then engaging with your colleagues in this place of like frivolousness. Sure. And in our postmodern Western culture, frivolousness is like, and, and it, as in an adult world, it's sort of scowled at, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, the, the, the grimace in the face and the scowl, how dare you have any sense of frivolousness and all this seriousness, right. you know, but frivolousness is important. Mm-hmm. You know, frivolousness is 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 extremely important. And in our sense of frivolousness, we actually can can engage in a sense of aliveness as well. And we need that to infuse us with hope. Yeah. We need that to infuse to be able to tap into our imagination. And our imagination is a capacity. Don't let anybody tell you different.
0: Mm-hmm. So joy is an intrinsic affect, and then play is a. Um,
1: it's basic to who we are. Play we are. is part of the. It's basic to who we are. Play right. is that is part of the subcortical part of the brain. It's been identified by Dr. Jacques Panksepp, who who coined the term affective neuroscience, and he was able to identify in mammals, um, specifically in laboratory rats, um, he saw that the play drive was there. That when he kept rats in isolation from the moment that they were born for several, you know, for several days, 20 some days or so, that he noticed that, that, that when he engaged, when he had them come engage with other rats, that their play drive was built in, building up. So he identified that play is actually part of the subcortical part of the brain. It's basic to who we are. And you can also identify You can see that in, in the play scholars that have actually um, um, studied animals in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, You know that they're not you know that there's a play aspect in terms of um, being able to learn how to survive in the world how to survive in the wild. And it's important. It's important to engage in play. Rough and tumble play specifically Mm -hmm. is important to our development. Mm -hmm. And we don't stop developing until, you know, from, you know, when we become 18 or 25 or whatever this, I'm talking about play throughout the lifespan. Mm -hmm. It's important for our development. It makes us smarter. It makes us more aware. Um, And that sense of frivolousness is actually important for us to be able to cut through the seriousness of life because life is pretty dang serious.
0: Especially. Mostly in moments like the covid-19 pandemic and yes. those those nurses engaging in a prank and having say 60 seconds of laughter or two minutes mm-hmm. of laughter like that timelessness you mentioned maybe for several of them they got so engulfed in the laughter And the hilarity of the moment, even though there's people dying out there possibly of Mm COVID-19 in their Mm -hmm. ward, like their unit right now, but Mm -hmm. for like 90 seconds, they have this timeless moment where they're just laughing because you can't Mm -hmm. really be worried about the patients out there dying if you're really doubled over in laughter. They're somewhere in your consciousness, but doesn't that, that rush of happy chemicals, like the dopamine doesn't that do a lot for that person in that moment and the refreshment that happens from even that 90 seconds of play. So without a doubt, that's, I mean, I, I want to be as we start to to wind down, you know, you were featured or are being featured in a film by Jamie Redford, who's a filmmaker who happens to be the son of movie star and director Robert Redford. And it's a film called Playing for Keeps. And mm-hmm. I know the release of the film isn't really happening like it's supposed to because of Covid nineteen because so many things mm-hmm. have been postponed or hijacked by COVID-19 but this Mm -hmm. film sounds like it's a really important way to meet to to reach the public and with this notion that play is scientifically based and important but also that what its actual impact on humans are right yeah and you're in the film doing hula hoop Doing hula dancing with students, I believe, outdoor.
1: Well, I'm hoping. I'm. I actually. Um, Jamie came and 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 um, filmed me uh, working in um, in the breast cancer clinic that I that I was working at. That's right. Um, and he filmed me with a patient, and he filmed me with my colleagues, and he basically wanted to look at what was the sort of day to day in of what is it that nurses do. Mm. And, um, and then he came and also filmed, um, me, he interviewed me, um, asking me questions about play and my own experience with burnout, compassion, fatigue, and what is it that I plan to do with my dissertation and my, and my doctoral program in psychology, um, why I'm pivoting from oncology nursing to psychology. He filmed me, um you know, hoop dancing. And then he also filmed me, um, teaching hoop dancing to, um, a, a group of healthcare professionals here um, in San Diego.
0: And I saw a few clips and photos of that. And just to point out that you're getting, you're in a doctorate of philosophy and psychology program at Meridian university and your dissertation's name at this juncture is play and its effects on burnout and compassion fatigue among healthcare professionals, right? Yes. So absolutely. that's should make some nurses and healthcare professionals stand up and go like whoa okay so whoa. <laughs> this is not this is not a master's thesis this is this is a phd dissertation and this is yeah. you're doing literature reviews and you're digging deep 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 into yeah. this somatic all of this somatic thought and and philosophy and data that you are privy to in your incredible you're incredible intellect and you're this person and you're not paying me to say this. You're this person with this amazing intellect. And when you and I talk, it's just like, my mind just gets blown over and over again because you're reading so many books and absorbing so much. And you just like, you just ooze out of your pores. And, but then you also have this side where you're, you, where we started this conversation about 45 minutes ago about love and compassion and bringing joy and beauty to even the word the unit where you're hanging chemicals to go into the body of a woman with stage 4 breast cancer right mm-hmm. so you're you're walking these two worlds still like even now in your dissertation and your phd your doctoral program you're still walking in the two worlds because you have to do a literature review which you just mm-hmm. have to do. And it's mm-hmm. it's backing up your your hypotheses or whatever with data. Mm-hmm. But then you actually go out there hula hooping with a group of people in the grass in San Diego and you can show how nurses have a really awesome time. So yeah. I think yeah. in the age of COVID-19 and this pandemic and the chaos and the suffering and the, well, let's say the uncertainty, we don't, this is now April the first week of April 2020, right? And we don't know how many more months this is gonna be. The social distancing and all the stuff we have to do and all the death and disruption of the economy and the whole world, the enti- every engine that drives the human race and the world right now has been disrupted. So what would be your, what's your main message to a nurse, a doctor, a physical therapist, a nurse's aide, a firefighter, or a regular citizen listening right now to this conversation? What is the message to them about how they can stay in their body and and bring at least a little joy into their life, even amidst this incredible disruptive chaos? What would you say to them right now?
1: Well, first I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for your service. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your courage. Um, Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I want to say that it is your birthright to also experience joy. Um, You know, joy is one of the nine basic affects that have been identified by Sylvan Tompkins. And affects are innate biological responses to the increasing, decreasing, or persistent intensity of neural firing, which results in a particular feeling, facial and body display and skin changes. So joy is one of the positive affects um, that has been identified. And joy is a birthright. And you going in time and time again, serving in this way, being in the midst of the chaos and the uncertainty, joy is also part of who you are. And it's basic and it's important that you not only feed your body with nourishing food Mm -hmm. and drink water Mm -hmm. and be able to get the rest that you need, but part of that respite and that that place of, of of expansion and giving yourself some distancing that you need from a psychological perspective and a physical perspective and an emotional perspective is to experience joy. Mm. And the best way to experience joy is to do something that you love and to give yourself that permission to actually do something that infuses you with joy. And it can be, and it first of all, it's what you define. It's not what anybody else defines. And joy, play is sacred. It is one of the most sacred acts. When you see a child playing, you don't tell them, no, you're doing that wrong. No, that don't. is something that comes from them. They go towards that and they want to play. And then it infuses them with hope. When you see joy in a baby's face, mm-hmm. in their body, mm-hmm. it is, what does it do? It, it infuses you with joy. And then there's hope.
0: True. True. That's true. And then
1: there's hope. And we need now, in this time, to be able to tend to our joy, which is a basic affect. We do that through play, which is intrinsic to who we are, okay? And then what that does is it infuses us with hope and it helps us foster and nurture our sense of resilience in these moments of uncertainty and these moments of chaos and these moments of difficulty and suffering that we're seeing on so many levels. OK, and we're also choosing to engage and come towards and move towards. Right. Be the front lines of what this all is of, 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 and, and be able to engage with people and protect them and, and care for them and nurture them and all of that. But we're human. We are human. And it's important that we give ourselves permission to sleep, eat. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be in a safe space in our home. Mm-hmm. And then come to a place where we can engage in frivolousness, in joy, right? And to be able to let that um, nourish our soul, all right? And we do that through play. And we have complete and utter permission to do that. And I have to say, I want to just say this one thing I am not always in the best of moods to go to my hula hoop and get into that center and rock it out to some music. Sometimes I'm a little bit in a funky mood. Mm -hmm. And that's my humanness, right? Where I'm like, I don't really feel like it, but I'm going to do it.
0: You've got a hungry one-year-old. You've got a husband who's working hard. You've got... You've got a personal life and lots going on, right?
1: Right. And so sometimes I'm not in the greatest of moods to actually meet the moment, but I've made it a point Mm -hmm. that at four, between four and five o'clock, which is the news information hour where we're getting all the crazy news that went on in the day, right? To be informed, where I actually put on some 1980s jams, Mm -hmm. right? That bring me back to a nostalgic feeling of joy, get into my hula hoop, start moving my body. Okay. And that's my form of play. Right. And what it does to me is it shifts things a little bit for me Mm -hmm. and it makes me feel better. Never do I leave that experience saying I regret doing that. Never do I leave that experience feeling like, oh, that was a waste of time. The joy of it the expansiveness of it, the aliveness of it, those seven properties that I talked about that Dr. Stuart Brown identified in play, that brings me into a sense of aliveness and it instills me with hope and it gives me the motivation to meet the moment, whatever moment is coming at me. Okay, And that's why I'm saying, that's why I'm writing my dissertation on this, because I find this to be something that's incredibly important for healthcare professionals to be able to, A, have the permission, give themselves permission to engage in play. Whatever they define as that. It could be crocheting. It could be skateboarding. It could be roller skating. It could be dancing. It could be hula hooping. Gardening, it could be anything. gardening. Mm-hmm. It's whatever you define as the player, as those seven properties that I identified, right, that I, that I uh, described. Yes. Okay? It's purposeless. It's done for its own sake. It has improvisational potential, a continuation desire, it's freedom from time, you know, that is what play is. Mm. Okay. And thank God for Dr. Jacques Pankset's work, who identified play as being uh, part of the subcortical region of the brain in all mammals. So it's intrinsic to who we are. And then thank God for Sylvan Tompkins' work, who identified joy as one of the nine basic affects that are neurons that are firing. So Joy is our birthright, play is intrinsic to who we are, and it is the way in which we can continue to nourish our souls so that we can continue to follow Joseph Campbell's definition of bliss, our hard work, our vocation, and come towards that with a loving, expansive heart that is full, that is full, that is not depleted.
0: That is so beautiful, Caroline. And you that I just can't wait for people to hear this message. And you know, when they come home from the ICU or the ER and they're burnt and they're tired and they change their clothes and they take a shower and they and then they they put something, put on some dirty clothes or whatever and jump in the sandbox with their kid or they roll in the grass or they do a watercolor like I do, whatever it happens to be, or play the guitar. Or, um, I don't know, whatever it happens to be. And we need this more than ever in the time of COVID 19 because we know that our society, everyone is almost, almost everyone's an extremist right now. And the level of tension, like you said, the news hour, like I haven't listened to the news or watched TV in several weeks now. I get my news from my own sources in my own time. So, however it is, we take in information, but we also have to leave space for. For fun, because if that nurse doesn't engage in this play, what I'm hearing from you, if he or she doesn't have that moment of improvisational potential or timelessness or frivolousness, when they go back to work the next day, they're not much more refreshed than they were when they came home. And mm-hmm. they can actually be, if someone thinks this is a frivolous conversation, they're actually misguided because if they can release some of that tension, get some dopamine going, sleep better, Mm -hmm. feel a little bit lighter and go back to work Mm -hmm. the next day refreshed, they might be that much more effective or bring that much more Mm -hmm. love to a patient or family member who's suffering. And I think going circling back as we now wind down to your first comment when I asked you what kind of nurse you were, tell us about nursing. And the first thing you said, I believe, was love. You bring love. And I think you're bringing about this notion, this concept that, that play can actually transform nursing and healthcare professionals and possibly inst- instill more love in their work because they are able to be more present, Right.
1: Yes, so, absolutely. And you doubt. said,
0: "Thank God for Dr. Pink's up. Pink'sap up and the others in Stuart Brown, but also for you and for Jamie Redford and for all this, all the nurses and everyone and in, in grocery store clerks and mail carriers and people packing That's our true. bags at the grocery store, putting themselves Everywhere. on the front line. The Uber drivers who are driving people, the Airbnb okay. hosts, whatever it happens to be, right? The police officers, the firefighters. So." Whether they're like giving me my mail at the post office or saving a life in the ICU, they're still doing a service, right? And they all deserve to, to, to have joy in their lives. And thank you yeah. for, for this message. And in the show notes, we're gonna have a lot of this stuff and I'm gonna have to hit you up for a lot of links and things cause I tried to sure. write a couple things, but I didn't catch it yeah. all. And then we're gonna have some videos of you that Ted talk from Dr. Stuart Brown. You're this, this man who's like the godfather of play, play research. And mm-hmm. also people being able to find you right at the hula hoop girl.com. And I know you're not real active on social media right now because you're in the middle of a dissertation.
1: On Instagram, Instagram. I am.
0: Yeah, I do. Yeah. I follow you there and you've got your daughter, yeah. you know, so you're, you've got it going on right now in your life, but thank you so much. And you know, I love you. And I, and you know, I think you're like one of the most fabulous people on the face of this earth. And um, thank you so much for taking the time. And I hope even one person who gets the message here, it could transform their life forever. So thank yeah. you so much for that. That is such a gift. Well,
1: thank you, and thank you, Keith, for everything that you're doing. For uh, you know, really bringing um, all these messages forward. For um, healthcare professionals to gain insight um, and to lean into and to understand that you know we are all a community, and now more than ever we we need to rally and um, help one another and encourage one another, um, and you're doing that. You're doing that in this platform, and you've been dedicated um, for so many years and, in developing this platform to really bring across such important messages mm. and advocacy, uh, for the human aspect of what caring mm. is and also the risks in which we take, um, when we engage, um, and we, and we step to that, that plate of what we, what we signed up for yeah. in our vocation. And so, you know, your hard work and your dedication is, um, just thank you. I bow to it. And, um, and I'm so grateful that so many people have access to, and healthcare professionals have access to everything that you're about and you're doing and your vision. And um, yeah, and I just love you too. And, um, and I, my hope is that people give themselves more permission to play. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be a healthcare professional. Mm -hmm. Um, This is speaking to everybody across the board, but specifically to the audience today, or that's listening to this message is, If you're a healthcare professional, one of the ways in which you can really help to take care of yourself and to sustain and to infuse your life um, with hope and resilience during these uncertain times, during moments of chaos and overwhelm is, first of all, to acknowledge your humanness, to feel the feelings, to acknowledge those feelings and name them. Um, to have somebody that you can go to to talk about it, and then talk therapy can only go so far. Right. Then we have to actually bring it into a body and movement mm-hmm. expression. And I think play has a really beautiful way of being able to instill that hope tap into our imagination so that we can come back to that vocation in which we signed up to or signed up for um, with a compassionate, loving, open, and expansive heart where we can continue to be um, amazed by the courage um, and the beauty of these lives in which we, um, you know, we protect and advocate and serve. Um, And so my hope and my wish is that we give ourselves that permission to play and to actually experience our birthright of joy It's so, so important.
0: Thank you, darling. Thank you so much. And many blessings on you and the family. And I hope to see you soon when this is over. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this special episode of The Nurse Keith Show with my friend and colleague, Caroline Cardenas. And there'll be many more to come. And remember that the show notes will be at nursekeith.com forward slash play. You're definitely going to go there and read about it. Watch, learn listen and feel it in your body. I hope you've uplifted and empowered from this episode. And I encourage you to take inspired action to play and to, to embody your life in any way you need to and to use your your mind, your heart, your body, your spirit to calm your friends, your family, your loved ones, your colleagues, members of your community and bring joy to them and love to them in these troubled times. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, who is kindly producing these COVID-19 bonus episodes free of charge to me as a public service to you. And... Mark Spiesen, our stalwart social media ringmaster, who's helping me spread the word by keeping you informed via our many online platforms. Stay safe, stay informed, spread joy, and be the nurse who does the right thing in the face of COVID-19 and be the person you need to be right now and do it with love. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico.